All right, now we're talking here. Hot stove is heating up. Welcome to the show. Fantasy baseball today. No Chris Towers. He's out sick today. Instead, it's just me, Adam Azer, uh, and Scott White. Now, when I say me, Adam Azer, and Scott White, it sounds like there are three people. But what I meant is that I am Adam Azer, and Scott White is the other me, person. Me, comma, Adam Azer. Right, comma. exactly, exactly. Yeah, um, but here's yeah Chris Scott. is out sick. Mm-hmm. He is sick to his stomach. Over what the Marlins have done here the last couple days. Mm, yeah, I don't blame them. Here, but here's my impression of Scott White from like last week. Nothing's happening. There's nothing going out of the off season. There's too there's there's too much jelly on peanut butter and jelly. It needs to be a one to one ratio. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that one up. Oh, but, okay. You know, the ratio is very important with peanut butter and jelly. I mean, one to one ratio. Yeah. One, one slice of each, right? Like, well, like the same amount of jelly you know, and peanut butter. I'd you know, say that's hard to quantify. I but, guess it is. But uh, anyway, yeah. Um, off season. Yes. <laughs> what yes. a week. Yes. Exciting stuff. Now, obviously, you know, I, I joked about Chris being home because he's he's torn up, broken up over these Marlins moves. And it seems like a lot of people are. It seems like the world at large is just destroying the Marlins over this. Um, and I find that to be a little silly, Adam. I'm not going to lie. A little silly to be so angry at the Marlins for what they've done here. Because I, I, I think it was obvious at the time Giancarlo Stanton signed that deal that that was too big of a deal for the Marlins to be handing anybody. It's too big of a deal for most teams to hand anybody. Few teams could take on that kind of salary. When I heard some of the offers the the Marlins were getting back from the Giants and Cardinals, frankly, I thought it was better than they were going to get. And so you can understand why they pursued those deals, even not knowing if Stanton would accept a trade to either of those places. Once Stanton rejected those places and narrowed the list down to – Yankees, Dodgers, Astros, or Cubs. I mean, it, it really limited the Marlins options. There wasn't much left they could do. And, you know, just, just by, you know, considering the Dodgers themselves didn't really want a part of the Stanton contract, that shows you how hard it is to move. I mean, whatever team took, it, it sounds crazy, I understand, because Giancarlo Stanton, 59 home runs last year, NL MVP. But whatever team took that contract off the Marlins' hands was was doing the Marlins a favor. Of course, like, the, the deal was getting rid of the contract, it, and, and any players that were going to get thrown into that were just a bonus. And I'm reading, <clears throat> I was reading this ESPN article earlier today about Scott Boris just torching the Marlins and saying they're a pawn shop, and he said. You have a community down there that grew to know four or five star players. They have a tremendous outfield there. They have a new ballpark. They have an excitement they grew to know. They suffered a tremendous tragedy and loss with Jose Fernandez. As a community, they bonded around that team, end quote. No. No, they didn't. <laughs> they don't care. They don't. They, they can be up in arms all they want, but they don't care about the Marlins. They don't show up. They didn't give a crap about the young outfield. Like, give me a break. That's not even close to true. And I mean, I get it. You're Scott Boris. You're looking out for the players, but uh, I'm yeah. sorry. Like, the, the, I mean, some the, of the Marlins fans, like genuine Marlins fans, the few that exist, like I said, it seems like by and large they are very upset about this. For some reason, they got the rug pulled out from under them. Even though this was the most telegraphed trade in the history of trades, we'd been waiting 
two months for it to happen. But as now it's D Gordon, it's Ozuna who just got traded. Yeah, but I, I, I get mean, it. I get why the, why the, why the real fans look, are upset. I, I, but the thing is, like the community does not care about the Marlins. They just don't. No, they don't care about the Marlins. And the only way they're going to care about the Marlins is if the Marlins do something they've never done before and make the playoffs two, three years in a row. That's never happened in their history. Mm-hmm. And the only way you attract fans is by winning, you know, more than just this fluke year where every, you catch everybody by surprise, but actually having interest going into the season. And, uh, you know, I don't know if, Jeter and, and, and Mike Hill and that group is capable of building that kind of winner, but that's what they're trying to do because that's the only way it's going to succeed. And, and having Stanton's albatross contract on the books, which by the way was totally backloaded, it was, it was completely transparent, um, by the terms of that deal that the Marlins were just trying to squeeze another couple years out of this, out, out of Stanton and then unload him once uh once the, the you know the the backloaded portion of the contract kicked in um it, you know that they they weren't going to build what they wanted to build with that salary on the books there are only about six or seven teams in all of baseball that could build something around that salary the yankees of course being one of them yeah okay well i think a lot of people think it's a great trade for the yankees i uh, i'm not so sure Absolutely. i'm not sure yeah. i i don't i don't really you you don't really know. What are you talking about? This is awesome. You got Judge and Stanton, the two, the the two like era defining power. I mean, not only one year for Judge, but it, it looks like from the batted ball tendencies and everything, he is on the level of Stanton in terms of era defining power hitters. It's a lot of you, strikeouts. The, it's a lot Yankees of strikeouts. Were, Okay, well, the thing about the thing about Stan's MVP season, he, I know it went down, but he still struck out like 160 times. A lot of strikeouts right. in the middle of the order. It's a lot. It's it's it. You the, know how the, the only player who's like this outrageous strikeout guy is Judge. The only player in that lineup who's well, and maybe Bird, maybe Greg Bird. But they don't. But they need to cut down on their strikeouts. That's the thing. I, I, this is how I feel about it. Oh, this, this is lineup ridiculous. is probably. As close to a guarantee as you can get to make the playoffs. But right. I am worried about when they face great pitchers, great relievers that come in in the postseason. And Adam, they just strike out a ton. On. No, come I'm on. Look at the Astros. Dude, the Yankees were within a game of the, the World Astros last year, and they just added their new best hitter. The Astros made a concerted effort to cut down on their strikeouts, and they went from worst to first, and they became a better team because of it, and they won the World Series. That was a big deal. And Actually, I just Greg personally, it wasn't terrible. We probably also see, we pro- we might have just seen the best seasons of their careers for Stanton and Judge. You bought high on Judge. This is the first oh, uh, Stanton. on Stanton. This is the first time. This is the first <laughs> time I think that Stanton is being viewed as one of the best players in baseball. So they gave up two marginal prospects and they bought high on Stanton. This is the lesson that all of these teams are learning: that these these backloaded contracts are terrible ideas. When you're starting to pay these players close to $30 million when they're in their mid to late 30s, every team is regretting them. Look at the Angels with Albert Pujols. Think about the, the Tigers but, and how they feel about no, Miguel Cabrera Adam, right now. How, Adam, how, how many bad years are, is there going to be with this Stanton contract? I, well, I don't know. It only, it doesn't, it doesn't take them as into the ages it's like Pujols contract is taking him. Takes but him up to 37. The thing is, relative to the contract the Yankees were going to have to hand Bryce Harper next offseason if they went that route, Stanton's a bargain. 
I mean, I just don't think have, he's even close. They to have I don't so think he's much. At, you know, now that you know, A Rod's off the books. Uh, Sabathi is off the books. Um, pretty soon, you know, no, before too long, Ellsbury's going to be off the books. McCann is going to be off the books. They have so much spending power that thirty million dollars for them. If it's invested in their their best player, which I think for the next at least three or four years, Stanton is going to be their best player, is not a big deal for the Yankees. This is like you should be dancing in the streets. Nah, I don't, Adam. I, don't I, see I think it. this. I you know there there was a case to be made that the Yankees um, were uh, the World Series favorite even before this trade. I think with bringing Stanton and introducing Stanton to that already very good lineup. Uh, it becomes the best lineup in baseball, and it makes the Yankees the World Series favorites. They have the best lineup, the best bullpen, a com- an, an enviable one, two, three in Severino, Gray, and Tanaka. They're talking about adding Garrett Cole. Yeah, that would be or, nice. Or, I, I, or, I, I, uh, I just think it reminds me a little bit of the mistakes that the previous Yankees teams no. made, chasing a guy oh. like Gary Sheffield and and getting this these. This is so much smart. I was I was talking in the office yesterday to to Heath and, and a couple other guys. This this is the smartest I've ever seen the Yankees organization run. Brian Cashman positioned themselves to to have financial flexibility like they haven't in in decades, while also building up the farm system. So at the same same time they have money to spend, they're getting this influx of talent from the miners. They're, this is going to be the start of a new Yankees dynasty. Those old Yankees teams. They used to just look at the best free agent, throw as much money as it took to get him, and and worry about the repercussions later. I, I think this Stanton trade for them, with the with the room they have in their budget, and with the kinds of contracts we're going to see some of the big name free agents sign next off season, yeah, I, I think it's a totally responsible move. Okay, well I hope you're right. I just I, I think it is good short term. Long term it scares me because eventually they're going to have to give big contracts to Gary Sanchez, Didi Gregorius, Luis Severino, Aaron Judge. Like they're going to have a lot of players that need big contracts. I don't know that they're going to be able to keep all of them. Even the Yankees may not be able to keep all of them, but. Let's talk fantasy. John Carlos Stanton to the Yankees for Starlin Castro, who could still get traded, and some other prospects. Value up, down, or the same for John Carlos Stanton? I think it has to be up just from the kind of park, the the, the transition from one of the most pitcher-friendly parks to one of the most hitter-friendly parks. And for the most part, I feel like Stanton, as hard as he hits the ball, is, is immune to park factors. But I've seen some estimates – that um, this kind of park change could up his home run a- outage by 25%. To me, that seems... That's insane. Aggressive, but, <laughs> I mean, considering he was almost a 60-homer guy last year, there was not talking, like, 70-homer run potential. He, he didn't hit park. one fly ball to right field that left Marlins Park, or that did not leave Marlins Park that would have left Yankee Stadium last year, from what I saw. Maybe okay. it was one home run. Look, and I don't, well, again, I don't no, want to, I don't want to oversell the home run growth because I, I feel like the, 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 as, as the kind of home runs he gets would for the most part sell, sail out anywhere. And there's just going to be, um, you know, some, some normalization, I think. Like I, even if he stayed with the Marlins, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't expecting him to hit 59 home runs again. Right, so, right. uh, but, it was enough this move for me to move Stanton one spot in my outfield rankings ahead of Mookie Betts, who I was already a little undecided about taking ahead of Stanton. Oh, I'll still uh, take Betts. Now I, I'll now still I think I definitely bets. want Stanton. I'll still take Betts. 
Especially, you know, because he gets the steals, and they're just so hard to come by. He gets some stolen. He's, you know, he'll give you like twenty five steals. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's like that's important. But compared to ownership of the home run category, but Betts could hit twenty five home runs. Elsewhere. I mean, Betts could hit twenty five home runs. Yes, Bet. I mean, Betts is a very good player. He's only one spot behind Stan. But oh, it's a huge spot, Scott. Sixty home runs versus. A 25, 25 This is his first year a, hitting 40. Batting average. This was his first year hitting 40 home runs. Uh, he's still. Stanton? Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of that had to do with health, and a uh, lot of that was fluky injuries. Most and, of it, yeah. Um, you know, and, and like, from a points league perspective, because we're just talking about the category perspective there, it's, it, it, their production this last year wasn't really that close. Now, I think it was a down year for bets. I think it was, um, kind of a worst case scenario based on Bet's profile. I think he's going to be better next year, but it's it's a big gap he has to fill, and I think Stanton's potential just went up with this trade. So, all right, yeah, I'll take Stanton ahead of Bet's. I think the other thing you'll get with Stanton should be like you got this year: a lot of runs and a lot of RBIs. Stanton hit, uh, I don't know, he had over a hundred of each. <clears throat> he hit uh, 281 with 59 home runs, 132 RBIs, and 123 runs. I, those numbers probably come down, but he still should thrive in runs and RBIs. Any other <clears throat> side effects of this trade? Let's start with the Yankees, then we can go to the Marlins. Uh, Christian Yelich, I mean, if he stays on the Marlins. Like, talk about runs going down. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, and, and conversely, talk, the Yankees lineup, talk about runs going up. Yeah. Um, they, Like I said, this is this is their new best hitter. Added to all the hitters they already had last year, which was the second best offense in the American League, maybe all of baseball. Um, Didi's better <laughs> in terms of run scored. I'm talking objective measurement. Yeah. So yeah, I think RBI potential goes up for Didi Gregorius. Sure. No, I mean um, Didi's better than Stanton, but I was kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Brett Gardner, man, what if Brett Gardner's Aaron, leading off? Aaron, yeah. If, if Brett Gardner is healthy all year, I don't see how he doesn't score 100 runs. I was surprised he fell short of that last year, uh, but you know, Bird, Greg Bird gets the 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 most gentle introduction to full time at bats that could be imagined. I mean, there's a chance he bats in between Judge and Stanton, which would be um, unbelievable lineup protection. Obviously, Garrett Sanchez, Gary Sanchez's RBI um, potential goes up. Everybody, everybody in the Yankees lineup gets better with this deal. But even more so than the Yankees lineup is what this means for the pitching staff, which I, as, as much as I can remember, any pitching staff is in a position to collect a ton of wins. And that goes obviously for the top three guys, Severino, Tanaka, and Gray, who we trust to pitch six plus innings consistently. Um, not only are they going to have more leads, but when they leave the game, there are five closer caliber relievers in the Yankees bullpen. Beyond the lineup, that's really the strength of the Yankees team is just how deep that bullpen is. So few of those leads are going to get blown. There are going to be a ton of wins for those three. And I think for Jordan Montgomery, too, if if there's still a spot available for him in the rotation once the, once the offseason's over. Showed a lot of potential last year, should be better equipped to pitch deep into games, and I think it's going to be a great sleeper. If it just if only because of his supporting cast, forget the fact that he has a good swing strike rate and all that. Yeah, and if the Red Sox go out and sign JD Martinez, it's it's time to start looking at the pitchers in the American League East that aren't on those two teams. And you know, other than the Aces, they'll be fine. But 
like they're just these two teams. If the Red Sox sign Martinez, they're going to feast on bad pitching or even mediocre pitching. And it, it would make give me a little pause on taking American League East pitchers. Their matchups could be really, really tough a lot, and you'd have to sit them. Um, I'm not talking about the high end ones. I think I'm talking more about like uh, the J Haps of the world. <clears throat> but all right, for the for the uh, also Glaber Torres could be the second baseman for the Yankees. They're going to need a third yes. baseman too. You know, and and then they traded Chase Headley after yeah. that, so they have openings at second and third. Mm-hmm. That uh, yeah, I think I think by the time Glaber Torres is back from Tommy John surgery, he'll he'll have a spot ready for him. All right, the Marlins. Yelich is the only guy. Oh, Boar. Yeah, Yelich and Boar. Uh, well, I mean, Real Muto is not bad. All right, yeah. But that's that's largely because of the position he plays. Yeah, there are not going to be a lot of bats left over in Miami, and that that hurts the stock of all of those players. I, I think there's enough um, elasticity in those first base rankings after the top eight or so that Justin Bohr could drop four or five spots in my first base rankings when when the dust settles. Obviously, we've talked a lot about the Stanton trade. They the just today the the uh, Marlins traded Marcelo Zuna to the Cardinals, and and D Gordon was already out the door, so. It doesn't sound like they're actively looking to trade Yelich, but there's the chance he could be moved too. And then what is Justin Bohr left with? He's, you know, he was he was an intriguing um, hitter because of how hard he hit the ball and and you know the batted ball profile, along with plus plate discipline, gave him sleeper appeal. But if he has no lineup protection at all, he might lose some of those strengths in addition to just losing the RBI potential, run scoring potential. Yeah, Christian Yellow scored 100 runs last year. I, I mean, I just can't believe that he was the number 10 outfielder in points leagues. He was something like 17th or so in in Roto, Yelich. And uh, like 282 with 18 home runs and 16 steals, 100 runs. There was nothing great about him. He was consistent. But just nothing great about him. Um, 80 walks, 100. I don't know. I, I just I can't believe that he finished as the number 10 outfielder in points leagues and even top 20 in Roto. But if he goes down to 80 runs, it's obviously going to hurt him. And I don't think that's out of the question. Uh, all right. Seattle acquired D. Gordon. Interesting trade. So they get D. Gordon from the Marlins. Gordon is going to play center field for them. Mm-hmm. He basically has been a very consistent 60-steal guy. Three of the last four years, and the one year he didn't do it, he got hurt, or no, he had the PED suspension, and he stole, uh, he stole 30 bases in, in 79 games in half a season. So, I mean, you set the, if D. Gordon's like on the Marlins, whatever, you just said he's gonna steal 60 bases. The Mariners, though, they're not a big stolen base team. They were 13th in baseball last year in steals, which isn't bad, but they had Ger- Gerard Dyson, they had Gene Segura. We were worried about Segura's steals going down, and they did. 33 in 2016, 22 last year, but he did play 20, 28 less games, 28, three fewer games. Yeah, 28, excuse me. Uh, anyway, are you worried about that? Are you worried about D. Gordon going down into maybe like the 45 steel range or something? No, no, not really. I mean, that's, you get D. Gordon, that's what you're getting him to do. So, you know, past tendencies, I think, go out the window at that point. I, I think the most notable thing is just that he's moving to center field. And while that won't impact his 2018 value, part of the value to D. Gordon was getting that big number of steals from an infield spot in in a categories league. Just because 
usually the steel specialists are confined to the outfield. There are a couple of others. Altuve, of course, contributes steals in the infield. Trey Turner, but those are really high-end players. Um, getting somebody in the fourth, fifth round who uh, who could add th- that kind of steals impact to uh, to an in- at an infield spot. It just made him a pretty handy player in those formats that he's going to lose come 2019. Assuming there's no injuries, then moving back to the infield, of course. Who is the uh, the best second base eligible player on the Marlins? On the um, Mariners. That's a more appropriate question. Who is the best second base eligible player on the Mariners? Who cares? It's Gordon for me. Okay. <laughs> it's Gordon. I don't. I don't necessarily trust Robinson Cano's power production to bounce back. It's one year out of what, four, where he's been a good power hitter for the Mariners, and he's only getting older, mid-30s now. So I, I don't want to invest a lot in Cano next year. All right, and finally, the Marlins traded Marcelo Zuna to the St. Louis Cardinals for a pitcher, Sandy Alcantara, and some others that we just don't know. It's been a very recent trade. But uh, now that's it. It's Stanton, Gordon, and Ozuna. Hopefully that's it. Uh, no, hopefully not. Keep going. I don't care. What the hell do I care? <laughs> Uh, what do you think? Value up, down, or the same for Marcelo Zuna with St. Louis instead of Miami? Well, first of all, if Sandy Alcantara is the biggest player coming back in this deal, a, a cost-controlled player like Ozuna, uh, I, I think that's more reason to be frustrated as a Marlins fan than the Stanton deal was. Yeah. So just just putting that out there. Um. I think Ozuna's value is pretty much exactly the same. The Marlins lineup was actually a little better than the Cardinals last year in terms of park factors, very similar parks. It doesn't seem to matter really in Ozuna's case because he was much, much better at home last year than on the road actually. Uh, but I, I'm not going to move Ozuna up or down or anywhere in my rankings. He's my 13th outfielder. There are already concerns just because the BABIP was really high last year in a way that didn't necessarily seem sustainable that he was going to take a step back this year uh, but going to the cardinals isn't going to be the reason it happens now yeah so zuna was the number five outfielder in points in roto he hit 312 with 37 home runs and 124 rbis in the first three months of 2016 he hit 314 with 16 home runs and 44 rbis he had a 920 ops and he had a 924 ops all of last year he played hurt the sec the second half of 2016. So you could make the argument that in the last year and a half of healthy Marcelo Zuna, we've got a 920 OPS guy who's a 35 homer guy, bats over 300. But I mean, it's it's a lot to ask for. It's it's made, like I trust the power from Ozuna. I don't necessarily trust the batting average, and maybe you know maybe he's more like a 275 hitter. I I he'll be a good fantasy option. He, ranking him 13th, I don't think is any slight on him, but um. I don't think I don't think he's quite as good as we saw in 2017. Now, what's interesting about this, Ozuna's value stays the same, but the Cardinals had a lot of intriguing bats that they were kind of cycling through their outfield last year. That now, I mean, it looks like their outfield set in stone, right? You got you got Fowler, you got Ozuna, you got Tommy Pham, and everybody else who was part of that mix, Randall Grichik. I think we can forget about him can being we, that, a cheap source of power. Given up on Stephen Piscotty already? It, it sounds like Stephen Piscotty is going to be moved, at least. I mean, at, at least, and they signed him to a long-term deal, so obviously they wouldn't want that contract wasting away on the bench. But 
it does sound like in Steven Piscotty's case, at least he'll have an opportunity to get at bats elsewhere. Uh, the athletics are a team that's very interested in him, I know. So, um, so he may not end up losing that much value, but he won't be starting in the Cardinals outfield. Gritchick won't. Uh, who else was part of that mix? They have a couple of pretty good prospects coming up. Harrison Bader, Tyler O'Neill. Don't expect them to make much of an impact this year. Uh, Jose Martinez is somebody I'm worried about. Now he did play mostly first base for the Mar- for the Cardinals down the stretch, but obviously they would prefer to play Matt Carpenter at that position. Um, outfield's not an opening for Martinez anymore. He's he's a he's a big sleeper hitter for me if he does find at bats. Hopefully, the Cardinals are reserving that first base base spot for him. And so, who is the best outfield eligible player? For the St. Louis Cardinals. I said this one right this time. I have Tommy Pham two spots ahead Ooh. of Marcelo Zuna. Ooh. Ah, you the love power's Tommy Pham. similar. Um, but Pham's a better on base guy and certainly a better base dealer. Alright. Tommy Pham, top twelve outfielder for Scott White. What about in Roto? Would you go with Pham over Rosuna there too? Well, yeah, I mean Because of the steals. Yeah. yeah. The steals make it a pretty easy call. I do, I do think Ozuna's floor is higher, I, but you know I, I think Tommy Fan's upside is significantly higher. Well, that's 25 minutes of Marlins talk. <laughs> Let's go to that, that's more than you're going to get on sports radio in South Florida, the team that just that's worships true. worships that, those Marlins. Nobody right? cares about the Marlins. They do not. Uh, Actually, the, there, there's been some lately. People are angry. Yeah, I, I don't blame them. Anger always sells, Adam. And you know what? This whole Derek Jeter thing, like, I honestly don't feel like Derek Jeter is doing much that doesn't happen all the time in other organizations. You know, I just think Derek Jeter, it's an interesting story. Everybody wants to see how he does as an owner. Everybody's going to click on the Derek Jeter headline. Oh, the optics of this aren't good. Let's bash Derek Jeter. Like, that's that's what I think's happening here. Yeah. It just makes you wonder how much he's doing and how much Mike Hill is doing. There's that, too. I mean, he is Mike Hill's boss, but what there, there are few owners in baseball who really get any attention over moves that are made by their, their general manager. And, and they're all, obviously, above the general manager in the pecking order. Right, right, exactly. Um, so, you know, I, I imagine Derek Jeter instructed Mike Hill to trade Giancarlo Stan, but I don't know that he was necessarily involved in the negotiations, at least not on a granular level. He's not even at the winter meetings. Exactly. How much can he be, and, like, how much is he doing? I don't, I don't know. I mean, was, did you, did you hear any complaints that some other owner wasn't at the winter meetings? But he is also I, the president of baseball operations. He's not just an owner. Is, is he, I, I don't think he's president of baseball operations. He, he, he does oversee baseball operations. Okay. But it's not like, you know, normally when people get the president of baseball operations title, it's just, they're, they're a GM, basically. And that's not what Jeter is. Yeah. Alright, well, any, any, you know, first time GM making these trades would be a scary thing. You better have a little help from Mike Hill. Um, we got more, oh, oh, Shohei Otani, that guy. Oh yeah. So sprained UCL in his right elbow, <laughs> which required a PRP injection. Oh, by the way, he signed with the team. It's been uh right that yeah. happened since our last podcast. It sure yeah, did. New new news is happening now with Otani. So yeah, so Otani is with the Angels. Yep. And would you rather have Otani rank these three pitchers? See where I'm going with this. You Darvish, Shohei Otani, Masahiro Tanaka. Darvish, Tanaka, and Otani, but 
that's how I rank them even before this this elbow news, which calling it a scare I think is too dramatic. It it caught a lot of people by surprise, but this is something all the teams pursuing him already knew about. This was, you know, he had this injection back in October. So uh, this this was a surprise to no one. The Angels weren't taken aback by it at all. Um, it's, you know, UCL is always scary because that's that's the the Tommy John ligament, but he's going to be on his normal pitching schedule. Like Tanaka had had his UCL scare a few years ago, and we're still waiting for his Tommy John surgery. It doesn't increase. The fact that there's a small tear in that ligament, does it increase the odds that maybe at some indefinite point in the future Otani will need surgery? I guess it does, but it's not any more predictable than any pitcher who doesn't have that elbow issue. And I yeah, but Tanaka, I think it's a non-issue when rating his fantasy value. Tanaka hasn't been the same since that injury, since his first year. Okay. Is that the reason why? I, th- I mean, it's been I years. don't know. It has, but I don't think his fastball is quite what it was that first year. Mm-hmm. But. And, okay. He's uh, not the only one either. What do you mean? Uh, Urban uh, Santana. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's is, true. It comes to mind. And I, I think there are others. I mean, Garrett, the Angels just, just dealt with Garrett Richards, who had a, a more significant UCL issue and managed to avoid Tommy John surgery, came back looking very strong at the end of last season. Um, but, you know, this isn't even near that significance. Otani's not in jeopardy of missing time because of this elbow. So, um, where I rank him. Yeah, that's, let's, let's get into to that. like the Rich Hill range of pitchers. And that's more because I feel like there are going to be, um, limitations innings wise. If he, if he does go the, um, and, and, you know, the Mike Sosha's even said there's no doubt about it. He's a two way player. First of all, it's going to have to be basically a six-man rotation for the Angels, so he's going to get fewer turns than the average starting pitcher, as will all the Angels pitchers. And, um, you know, if he's starting two or three times in between starts, I got to figure there are going to be points in the season where they let him rest a little beyond even the the six turns. So I'm thinking an upside of like 160 innings for Otani this year, which I wouldn't give Rich Hill the upside for more innings than that either. And uh, I think the production inning for inning will be pretty similar. Rich Hill's been a very good pitcher the last two years inning for inning. All right, so, let's go Let's go over under. 320 ERA. I will. That's a good over under. I'm going to take a little under. Strikeout per inning. Over. Ooh, that's a lot of strikeouts. Uh, one, 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 five whip. A little bit under. Okay. So we've got a 310 ERA with a 1.14 whip and 165 strikeouts in 160 innings. And he wins 11 games, 12 games. Okay. 11 and a half over under. You tell me. Um, under. Alright, 11 wins. Fine. <laughs> uh, that's, that's a good pitcher. So would, would you would you take James Paxton or Shohei Otani? I'll take Paxton because I I think he'll be a little better inning for inning, and I at least give him a chance of going beyond 160. No, not they're not a very good one. David Price or Shohei Otani? Price. Um, how about Garrett Cole or Otani? 
I will take Cole still. Wow. And it, but again, it's mostly an innings thing. All like right. I think the innings right. are going to be there are going to be clear limits on Otani just because he's he's trying to do this two way thing. I mean, <laughs> you you can't ask him to take on a normal pitcher or hitter workload. All right, here's a scenario: you're playing in a league where. Uh, you can only count the first 160 innings that a pitcher pitches that season. You okay. also get credit for his hitting stats. Uh-huh. And you get to double his hitting stats. So. <laughs> this is a dumb scenario. <laughs> where, where would you rank Otani <laughs> in that league? <laughs> That's gonna be the podcast um, league, by the way. This is gonna be the what league? The podcast league. Oh, okay. Okay, so you only get to count 160 innings for every pitcher, and you double their hitting stats. Look, I think his 160 innings will be pretty evenly distributed over the course of the year. I don't think he's going to get shut down in August or anything. It's a roto league. So now the pocket, (laughs) but you're doubling. Is he the number one pitcher in that scenario? Is he the number one? No, no. Really? Not the number one. But you double the hitting stats. Okay, there's no scenario in which both the hitting, both his, his fantasy owner is going to get credit for both the pitching stats yeah. and the hitting in stats. In this podcast in league, in here. this podcast league, it's happening. In that special podcast league, he will. Okay. Yeah. All right, um, fine. Do you there, want, okay, then there's a chance he's the most valuable player. No, but I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because last time we talked about Otani, um, it seemed like the the product team was leaning more toward making two Otanis in the player pool, a hitter version and a pitcher version, so he could be split between two owners. And and now it sounds like, and again, it's not final, but it sounds more like it's going to be a dual-eligible Otani. Um, he'll have to earn DH eligibility, but that'll happen pretty soon. And uh, depending on where his owner starts him, that's what those are the stats he gets credit for in that scoring period. So if you start him as a pitcher, you don't get the hitting stats that scoring period, but you get the pitching stats and vice versa. You won't get both at the same time. But it still makes it it, it still makes a big difference in daily leagues. That's where I think you're going to see the biggest discrepancy in Otani's value, weekly leagues versus daily leagues. Because a weekly league, even with the dual eligibility, knowing he's going to start just two or three times a week probably is a DH you're going to start him as a pitcher all the time, right? Weekly league, you start him on the days he's pitching, but then you still get a chance to take advantage of his hitting on those days. In the daily so, leagues. The daily leagues. In the, yeah, in the daily leagues. Right, right. So there's, there's going powerful. to be a pretty big difference in his value in those formats. Yeah, it really is. If we decide to go that way, which again is not final, there's some hurdles to clear there. But I think that's everybody's preferred solution. Okay, yeah, I wasn't going to bring that up, but you are a more important person in the fantasy baseball operation than I am. So I'm glad you did that. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have, but no, we've whatever. gone down that path before, so we'll, yeah. we'll go there again. Right, this has not been our most efficient show, so let's stop wasting time and talk about this email from Dan at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com, which has more Christmas-themed baseball names. like oh, El- the important stuff. Yeah. Elphis Andrews. And, uh, Bad Santangelo. Like, Bad Santa and... Okay. Yeah, these aren't as good. Elphus Andrews is pretty good. I, I was, I thought he was going with, like, Elphus on the shelfers. That could work too. That could work. Alright, so here's, uh, here's some more signings. And let's, uh, let's hit on these quickly here. So, the interesting stuff. Colorado signed Jake McGee to a three-year, 27 million deal, but they also signed Brian Shaw. And Greg Holland is a free agent, 
Brian Shaw, according to Buster Only, has the most appearances in baseball since 2013. Do we have closer potential here with Brian Shaw? Or McGee, I guess. That was the talk yesterday after they signed him, which I don't think he'd be a great closer. He doesn't have the, you know, the, the consistent strikeout per inning track record, but it sounds like the Rockies are going to end up getting Greg Holland too. So. Oh, okay. Um, I think it might end up being a moot point. Stay tuned. He's, a, he's got a high whip, Brian Shaw, for a reliever. I don't know if Colorado is a great place for him, but we shall find out. Now, Brandon Morrow to the Cubs. Brandon Morrow last year, 6-0, 2.06 ERA, 9 walks, 50 strikeouts, and 43 and two-thirds, .92 whip. Brandon Morrow was outstanding. He pitched in all seven World Series games. He made 14 postseason appearances. 11 of them were scoreless. He did end up with a 3.95 ERA, had one really bad appearance against the uh, Astros. But is Brandon Morrow in line to be the Cubs' closer? As of now, yeah, it doesn't sound like they've ruled out bringing another late-inning reliever in. And um, if it's a one that has more closing experience, I would imagine he would get the first nod over Brandon Morrow. But Morrow actually did look like a closer last year and I think would be fine in the role. There are obviously some injury concerns there, just given his track record and all the work in the postseason. But uh, if he is the Cubs' closer... He wouldn't be far outside my top 12 relievers if he's outside at all. Yeah, Wade Davis only had 32 saves last year in 33 chances. It's two years in a row the Cubs just not giving their closers a lot of saves. And the first year was because they were bludgeoning everybody. Mm-hmm. And this year is because they were a little disappointing, I guess. I, I, don't, I don't even know what the yeah, I reason was. I, I don't. I don't know either. I'm not. I'm not putting as much stock into that as I was last year when we were looking at Wade Davis because I don't think the Cubs are this runaway favorite. The Yankees are obviously the runaway favorite. Yeah, so are you going to be... No, they're not. Don't say that. I, I appreciate all this Yankee love. You love them, but I, I don't know. They're still adding. That's crazy. They don't. They really don't need anybody else, but they're still going to get more. Yeah. Do, do you worry about a role as Chapman getting more than like 35 saves? Mm. Interesting, right? Good question, Adam. Yeah. You know, it'll be interesting to see how the Yankees are managed this year, not only because they have nobody with, they have somebody with no management experience there and Aaron Boone, but, um, with that bullpen, Chad Green, Tommy Canely, David Robertson, Dellen Batansis, and Aroldis Chapman, obviously not all of those guys are going to have to pitch every day, but say you wanted to use three every day, you know, are are you are you pulling the starters earlier yeah. than you normally would yes. to take advantage of that bullpen? Yeah, they did it last year. I mean, I know in it's a different case, manager. In which case, I think it improves Chapman's chances of getting saves. Maybe not. Yeah, I don't I'm know. I'm trying to think why I think it does. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> maybe it doesn't. Maybe it wouldn't make a difference as far as Chapman's concerned. Yeah, so, sure. um, you know what? Chapman's my number three reliever, and... um if he gets 32 saves or 42 saves, I don't think I'll be terribly disappointed in him. Cubs signed Tyler Chatwood to a three-year deal. I guess he's kind of like an analytics guy. People think there's a lot, of, there's some untapped potential with Tyler Chatwood. And you look at his last two seasons on the road. 2016, he was eight and one with a 169 ERA. 2017 on the road, Chatwood had a 349 ERA. Um, and opponents hit 200 against him on the road last year, away from Coors. 
and I think they hit 190 against Chatwood away from course in 2016. Is Tyler Chatwood a mixed league relevant starting pitcher? I think he's on the fringes of being that. Uh, and I can understand the enthusiasm leaving Coors Fields and, and some of the, some of the underlying numbers there. Great ground ball pitcher, which is always a good thing no matter where you're pitching. And, uh, even though he hasn't been a big strikeout pitcher, um, at least last year he was a pretty good swing and miss pitcher. So looked like maybe he had some untapped strikeout potential. But that being said, I mean, he hasn't actually delivered the strikeouts yet. He has bad control, walks yeah. a lot of players. So probably going to have a high whip. And I'm just not enthusiastic about drafting him in a mixed league. All right, it's Tyler Chatwood. Some more middle relief stuff. The Phillies signed Pat Neshek to a two-year deal. The Rangers signed Chris Martin. Isn't that the Coldplay lead singer? Is that who they I signed? I think it is. Yeah. I think that's who they signed. Yeah. That's, that's pretty risky. Uh, the Rangers. It's a Coldplay song. The, what's, uh, is Risky a Coldplay song? No, Sing Us One. Oh, like Sing Us song. One. Usually break out in song. Scott, it has to be spontaneous. You know that. Right? Okay, sorry. No, you're not, you're not my dancing monkey. I understand. The Mets signed Anthony Swarzak. The Phillies are apparently closing in on signing Tommy Hunter and the Cardinals signed Luke Gregerson. Do we have any closer potential? We got some good relievers being signed here. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone that could end up getting saves. Well, Gregerson's been a closer in the past, and the Cardinals don't really have one of those, but I, I think they're looking to get more. Um, Tommy Hunter may be the Phillies' best reliever now, but I think they're looking to get more. Swarzak's the most interesting to me because the, you know, this happened, what, on Wednesday? And on Tuesday, the Mets manager, Mickey Calloway, new manager, was saying they're not going to have a designated closer, that they're going to, uh, you know, that they're going to operate situationally with the bullpen. Liar. It seems like there always is somebody who emerges at the head of the pack, even in those instances. So I imagine Wait, at look, some you... point we'll be calling somebody the Mets closer. But it wasn't clear, even before Callaway said anything, whether it was going to be Jerry's Familia or A.J. Ramos next year. And then if you add Swarzak to the mix, and if Callaway's being legit about that, I think Swarzak is now the Mets' best reliever. So... Hmm. I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. He could emerge as the lead safe source there. Yeah, and look at where the Mets' new manager is coming from, Mickey Calloway. He's coming from the Indians. If anybody did a, you know, no official closer thing, effectively it was them. But still, Cody Allen was their closer. You know, uh, right? Yeah. So the, the right, like you said, they'll settle on someone. All right, 2019 stuff. The Twins signed Michael Pineda to a two-year deal, and the Cubs signed Drew Smiley to a two-year deal. It's not guaranteed that either will pitch in 2018. The other stuff, Manny Machado could be traded to a team that would play him at shortstop, so that would be nice. The Padres acquired Chase Headley and pitcher Brian Mitchell from the Yankees for Jabari Blash. I assume you don't care about this? No. This, this to me, was the most transparent salary dump I've ever seen. This was an And it was, was the Yankees trade. dumping the salary on the Padres. <laughs> this was a great trade, no question. No question. Uh <laughs> like but, Jabari Blash, he's he's going to be like he'll be in their spring training lineup. That's maybe if they don't DFA him and, you know, whatever. He's not good. No, but Headley had a, a very good finish to the season. D- does that matter to you at all? 
No. It was, there was not a lot of power, but a lot of batting average. Okay, so forget that. Tampa Bay acquired Ryan Schimpf. Do you care? If they played in a silo, I would care. If they played in a silo? Well, yeah. But don't they? No. They play in a big park. If they played in a silo, the way Schimpf hits, elevates the ball... Never mind. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's, Somebody out there gets it. <laughs> okay, fine. You're right. They don't play in a silo. I just confirmed. Uh, he'll hit the ceiling a couple of times in Tampa Bay. Uh, what else we got? Detroit signed Mike Fires to a one-year deal. What month do you think will pick him up, and how many months will that last? Mike Fires. June 1.5. Okay, that sounds good to me. Jimmy Nelson will not be ready for opening day. Do you still draft Jimmy Nelson right now, as of right now? I did draft Jimmy Nelson in the one mock we've done so far. I got him later than I thought I'd have to get him. And uh, I, I wasn't at all expecting him to be ready for opening day. So I think he's a good late-round gamble, considering he was emerging as an ace last year. It's a scary injury he's coming back from, but the cost, the, the price is right. Okay. So you'd rather have Shohei Otani than Jimmy Nelson? Yes. Now, you play in a league that only tracks pitcher stats from the beginning of Jimmy Nelson's season, whenever that may be, and a pitcher's hitting stats count negative. Like, any <laughs> single is worth negative one point. <laughs> okay, forget it, forget it. Uh, and Alan Trammell and Jack Morris were elected into the Hall of Fame. I really put that in the notes for Chris, because based on his Twitter, he had strong feelings about it. But he's not here. Yep. He's sick. Yep. And I don't... You know, Jack Morris, if I had a vote back when he was in the right, back when the writers could vote him in, this was, this was a different, um, you know, once they graduate from the 10 years where writers could vote him in, this was a different group voting, voting these two in. I forget what it's called, but, uh, if, if I was a writer voting for Hall of Famers, I would never have voted for Jack Morris. But at the same time, I don't understand, like, I don't understand the feeling of, I'm angry that this guy got in the Hall of Fame. I understand relative to this guy who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, how is this guy getting in? But just, I, I can't be angry Jack Morris is in the Hall of Fame if he was that meaningful to people and they want him in their baseball museum. Like, who who cares? He he was arguably the ace, and, you know, I use ace in quotation marks because to, by today's measurements, maybe he wouldn't have been. But he was the ace of three different World Series winners, Tigers, Twins, and Blue Jays. That's pretty so impressive. Just from, That's impressive. Just from a stature standpoint, Hall of Fame, you know, like, I get it. Yeah, and he threw, like, a ton of complete games. I don't, yeah. And that was, I don't know if that was normal back then, but it's obviously a lot more normal than it is now. Um, yeah. I don't – I'm just going to basically stop having strong opinions on players that I have never watched pitch so or hit. So that's – that's. I don't have a strong opinion I, on this. I'm, I'm just a little – and, you know, I again, I don't think Jack Morris would have made my personal cutoff. But I, I don't like the idea of just turning Hall of Fame into a, a you know, a, a war leaderboard basically because that's – that's not what it's meant to be. It's supposed to memorialize the most impactful players – and there's a lot more that goes into impact than just the statistical measurements we value today, which, by the way, won't be the same as the ones we measure tomorrow. So yeah, and, and he, Jack Morris had 175 complete games, 
He also had a pretty high ERA. He had a career 390 ERA, and that's why people are opposed, I guess, to Morris being in. But his last six seasons were rough, most of them anyway, except for one. His first 11 seasons or 12 seasons, he had a 359 ERA. It's much more respectable. So, uh, all right, good, good, good for you, Jack Morris. Here's an email about the worst commissioner of all time. Uh, this is Jason from a small town south of Birmingham. Sky from the south. What's a small town south of Birmingham? I don't know. Mm. Minneapolis. Uh, okay, yeah. I play in multiple baseball leagues. This one in particular is a 12-team head-to-head points league with a $100 buy-in. Playoffs, get your money back. The champ takes the rest. Our commissioner – listen to this. This is unbelievable. Our commissioner expanded from 10 to 12 teams after the inaugural season three years ago with owners that, quote, lived multiple states away. So the new owners, the two new owners, lived multiple states away. According to the commissioner, they were family friends of his. Since the expansion, the commissioner has won three straight titles – while making very lucrative trades with the expansion teams. <laughs> All right, very fishy here. He brings on new player, new owners. They live far away. Uh-huh. They're family friends. The rest of us in the league communicated with the expansion owners via text but never personally met them. They would never trade with us unless it was overwhelmingly in their favor, but seemed to give kick-ass deals to the commissioner while giving the rest of the league hollow explanations to justify them. Long story short, we discovered the commissioner was running the two expansion teams himself as well as communi- <laughs> as well as communicating through a texting app pretending to be the other owners from far far away in order to get a leg up. Oh my god. Right? Needless to this say, is tr- a true scandal. Th- this is this with, is awful. With this much money being involved? It's awful. Needless to say the league got our money back and made me the new commissioner. Have you ever <laughs> heard of anything like this? I was hoping if you guys would share some collusion stories to help people not be taken advantage of, especially in situations where there's money on the line. I mean, was this in like what? What, what was? Uh, it sounds like because you didn't know these other people that you knew this commissioner before the league ever started. I mean, what was? I feel like you 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 would have had to have some concept of his character before agreeing to be in a league he was commissioning, and. <laughs> like this is just so wrong. Like I don't understand how you could do this and then still expect to be friends with these people. I afterwards. hope he isn't. That's the yeah. thing. I like, hope he is. So it's so underhanded and and manip. Like it's it it's stealing basically. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. Yeah, it's stealing. Yeah, and like, he, so he made he if, made seven hundred dollars. Friends stole money from you, like legitimately stole hundreds hundreds from you. Like you wouldn't be friends with that person no, anymore, right? Definitely not. He, no. he made he made seven hundred dollars every year on this scam. That's 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 just awful. I can't like. Uh. And I, the thing is, if you really want to scam people out of money, there's better ways to do it than this, right? Uh, this is pretty clever. Not that, I'm, not that I'm condoning that, but I'm just I just don't understand why he'd want to do this to people he he knows and and. You know, I just don't. I don't. Understand. Well, yeah. The other problem with this is like it does take a while. Just let's let's just be criminals here. You're trying to make seven hundred bucks. That's not that much money. You. It took you six months to do it. You know. You yeah, did, I know. Like right, an inefficient way <laughs> to steal from people that you have a personal relationship with. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's just, bad. Like, was it worth it, Kamish? Was it worth it? No. Probably not. 
Probably not. I've never been involved in a situation like that. I play in a lot of fantasy leagues in football and baseball. I don't play in that many money leagues, and they're not a lot of money, so I don't think people would really go out of their way to, to do something sneaky. Um, I played in one league for like a hundred and, 175 bucks or something. That was the biggest buy-in I ever had, and I hated it. I hated it because I, I, it took away the fun, you know, because it was like, now it's all about the money. Uh, I was the guy yeah. who went to the big market and got the big contract and, and hated all the pressure that came with it. It lost the right. joy for the game. Yeah. No, I, I don't like that either because it, you know, unless you're just happen to be in a league with really Rich people. Hey, that's what it was. Is a drop in the bucket for them. I, that's exactly what it was for me. It was a lot more than it was for the rest. Okay, of Okay, so maybe they weren't feeling the pressure. That's what I'm saying. But if you add, if if the league becomes all about the money, no, for them it then wasn't. I think it. I think it robs the some of the enjoyment you get out of just the competition itself. Yeah. I mean, you just want to if you just want a money contest. Again, there are much more efficient ways to do it than playing out a six month season. And, and I really think in terms of collusion and that kind of stuff, I, I know people don't agree with me on this, so I'm just going to take the unpopular opinion. I like being in leagues that allow the rest of the owners to vote on the trade and if it should be vetoed. And, you know, it has to be a pretty high threshold where you need a certain amount of votes to actually overturn it. But let's say you're in a 12-team league and two teams make a trade and the other 10 vote on the trade. I think it's gotta be like at least six saying no. And you also have to have owners that are, that, that understand the difference between just a bad trade and collusion. So maybe that's yeah, asking, asking sure. a lot. There needs to be a certain maturity level. Yeah, right. Maybe that's asking league. a lot. But I don't mind it putting it up to a vote. I don't, um, in general, I don't trust other owners to be, uh, impartial in their voting. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't set up leagues that way. Now, obviously, if I'm playing with like industry people, that's different. And, you know, if, you, if you're playing, if we're playing with industry people, there are never really any trade conflicts. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I would rather, um, I, I, my, my preferred method would be like having a trade council, like you as the commissioner and two other people who you really trust to make to be impartial and make good decisions. Shouldn't they be from and, shouldn't they be from outside of the league? Um how about that? That would be even better though if you have if you know fantasy baseball people that good fantasy baseball people that aren't in your league then you have a lot more baseball loving friends than most people do. Uh but let's just assume they're in the league. It None of the three of you are ever allowed to complain about trades. It's just if there's enough of an uproar on the message boards of your league, then it goes to the three-man council and you vote on it. And ideally, you don't even vote on it. You just talk it out and come to a consensus, the three of you on the same page, and then that's what happens. And, you know, for the most part, like 199 out of 200 trades shouldn't shouldn't even be rejected. Well, it's just, here's, there's an obvious problem with your trade council, right? You see it. You see the problem. No, well, tell me what the problem is. Well, what if one of them is involved in the trade? Oh. They're not yeah, allowed to make any trades. I guess, I guess <laughs> that one's left out of the decision making. It just becomes the other two, and it has to be a consensus at that point. 
What if they make a three-way tr- – no, okay. I won't give you <laughs> any more crazy hypotheticals. Uh, I was going to read some emails, but I'll save them until the next show. Here's the biggest moral dilemma I have in fantasy baseball, fantasy football. And I do it sometimes, and I'm not sure how I feel about it. Preying on the weak link in the league, you know, making trades mm-hmm. that you know you're just kind of – like not an all-out ripoff, but obvious wins. Mm-hmm. I struggle with it because if I don't do it, somebody else will. Mm-hmm. I try not to. I never, ever, ever, ever do trades with owners that aren't active because that's BS. Uh, what? But what, what were you going to say? Were you going to wait there? Wh- why would those trades go through if they're not active? Well, I never they even must all- be active I, to some degree. I never even offer. Happen. I never even offer. If I, I look in a team's not making transactions, I don't even bother offering. Okay. Um, cause you never know. They might get a trade offer and be like, oh sure, I'll take it. But I never offer. <laughs> I tr- I struggle with that, picking on the weak link. This can be yeah. very helpful. No, it's, it's, I mean, the best thing is finding a stable group where you can all build up a skill level together and then you, there is no novice to pick on. But, you know what? I think, um, I think the guy has to take his licks, the new, the newcomer. And I, I understand whoever gets to it first. Um, it, it's unfair for the rest of the league, but he's not going to trade the whole roster to him. So other people will have chances to make bad trades with him too. Mm-hmm. Um, this is what, this the, is what the I the call, only way he's, um, the only way he's going to get better is by making mistakes. This is what and, I call uh, the, uh, the Isaiah Thomas effect for you NBA fans. When Isaiah Thomas was running the Knicks, you had a bad contract. Hey, Isaiah Thomas, you take this crappy con- – he saved so many franchises. I would have felt bad if I were an NBA general manager calling up Isaiah Thomas. would have felt like I was cheating. That's how I feel now. That's the Isaiah it's Thomas It's the Dave rule. Stewart effect too. Does that work? Or baseball related? That would be better. Thank you, Scott. Thank yeah. you for keeping us on task here. <laughs> okay, that's it for uh, for today's show. And by the time we speak – I don't know. The Marlins, Marlins might not have any uh, any major league talent. Players, though. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And, and the community is going to be in an absolute uproar for the team that they never watch or attend games. Uh, we're only going to have eight thousand people next time yeah, exactly. at the game. Yeah, exactly. All right, for Scott White, I'm Adam Azer. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody.